Hello everyone and welcome back to the Computer Vision in Production podcast show. The podcast show where we talk all about everything computer vision. From the individual components of the technology including vision, cameras and deep learning. Right through to hearing about some of the most interesting applications that companies are using at the moment. Hello everyone and welcome to the Soda.ai podcast on computer vision in production. I'm your host, Anthony Kelly. Today's guest is Gorkem Koskun, who is the mapping lead engineer at Blick.ai. Gorkem, it's great to have you on the show. Hey, hello, everybody. It's really cool because uh, I actually got introduced to Gorkem because he attended my very first computer vision in production event. We connected in the in the networking breakout room after. And, and here we are now recording a podcast together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for hosting me. Um, I'm a bit excited. It's my first time that I attend a podcast, so let's see. Nice. So, Gorkan, why don't you just kick off, um, before we touch on Blake, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, your background, I suppose the, the path you took, because you didn't go straight into mapping and machine learning. You you came down the road of, of geomatics and geoinformation. Um, yeah. so tell us a little bit about that journey and, and, and how you've experienced now looking at at computer vision coming from that background originally. Mm-hmm. So um, let's start from the beginning. Uh, I got my bachelor education in Istanbul Technical University in the Department of Geo- Geomatics Engineering, uh, which is mainly about geodata analysis, information systems, and basically everything about map making. After the bachelor education, I started working at Here Maps as a GIS engineer. But I was not really happy. Uh, I wanted to do something else, maybe improve my skill set. So decided to do a master education uh, and, and came to Germany and completed my master's studies in TU Berlin and the Department of uh, Geoinformation Science. And later I started working at my current company, Belik AI. Um, in the beginning, uh, I was mainly working on database tasks. Geodata analysis, geodata collections, but then I decided to go deep into the field of CV. I wrote a master thesis about computer vision and geodata analysis, and here I am. Uh, there was a short summary of my education life. <laughs> uh, yeah, that should be all. It's really, really interesting, and I suppose it, it kind of comes down to to how you wrote your thesis. It kind of mm-hmm. your career could have went either way, but you decided to do a computer vision Definitely. thesis at the time. What was it? Was it just pure, I suppose, uh, interest in computer vision that made you write your thesis on computer vision, or was there something that happened? Where you were like, do you know what? That's that's actually what I want to do. So in our master department, there were few paths that you could choose to specialize on that topic in the future. For example, GIS, CV, or satellite geodesy. I actually chose GIS path because of my uh, bachelor background, but later I realized that I am really into the CV lectures. That was the first time that I was about to change uh, my path. I talked with my professor about to write a thesis within the CV department, and, and since my main path was GIS, I also needed to do something related with geodata during the thesis. So I created the connection and completed my studies. Uh, I would say uh, that is the key point how I changed my path from, from uh, GIS to CV department. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so, Gork, you know, thanks, thanks for going through that with us. So, I suppose, tell us a little bit about about Blake.ai and and the products that you have and how you are serving customers mm-hmm. with computer vision. Yeah, sure. So, Blake AI is actually kind of new name. Previously, it was called AI Park. And AI Park provides dynamic and static information of the parking spots, such as any kind of price, capacity, or different restriction attributes. In the dynamic information type, we also provide the real-time occupancy of the parking supports. So imagine that you want to go from point A to point B. If you check our app, you can see the real-time occupancies around point B, the price information, our restrictions, and so on. Later, we decided to improve our services. Uh, so the company cha- uh, name changed uh, during that time from AI Park to Bullock and we created a new product. And the new product is called Ride at the moment and it helps gig workers in the transport um, industry to automate the organization of their daily work. The app allows registered drivers to accept or reject orders for multiple platforms such as Uber, Freenow or Bolt at the moment. It also helps them to keep track of their earnings or shows highly populated uh, possible passenger areas in the city in real time. Basically, I would say it helps drivers to get more passengers uh, easily. Yeah, so Kirk, um, you know, now that we know a little bit about you, you know, a little bit about Blink.ai, your use cases, and and what technologies you have out on the market. Where does where does your role come into this? What are you working on? What technologies and tools do you use to to build these products for Blink, and and how do you use them as well? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not working in the heart of the Blink, right? Uh, what I do is capture street videos from different devices and analyze them. In the Bleak Ride app, if drivers direct their phone's back camera to the street, they can record the video and save the videos just like a dashcam app. Videos will be overwritten each other to avoid storage consumption and if something happens, they can press the stop button and use the saved video as a proof of crash or whatever. During that video capturing moment, we can do real-time street knowledge analysis such as um, car counting, uh, classifying the traffic signs or localizing them or, uh, or doing some analysis on the road to, to see the cracks or uh, road damages. In addition to Bleak Ride, we also have a minor app called Bleak City which is a private app that uh, we use to collect videos and analyze them offline for some private projects. Nice, nice. I've got I've got two two questions for two different products. So uh, let's just let's just go with, with with the GPS and geospatial technologies first. So a lot of companies out there who are using um, computer vision for any sort of I suppose you can call it autonomous vehicles, autonomous driving. Or yes. any any autonomous motor vehicle, or even flying vehicle. Mm-hmm. A lot of them aren't using GPS. You know, they're reliant on on lidars, radars, cameras as well. More specifically, but you use GPS and you use it in a way that you know, when used in combination with all these other things, it can give even better results than the, the combination of the previous three. So. How do you use GPS? Where does it come in in the in Blick? 
So uh, first of all, of course, we can also use different technologies than GPS uh, with some extra hardware setup like LiDAR or so. But our product is incredibly scalable that drivers can download and start using it in a minute. When we detect cars in real time or find the empty spots, the information is based on the smartphone's GPS accuracy and most of the time, that's actually enough. If there would be an empty spot on the Citroën, few meters accuracy is definitely enough to represent empty support location on the map. That's cool. That's cool. And so in terms of, of GPS then, you know, it's used use it as well for forecasting demand mm-hmm. through the, the Blink Riot app, right? Yes, yes. That's right. That's cool. Well, one thing we kind of spoke about though as well is, um, you know, security risks of GPS can be quite not easily infiltrated, but easier, easier <laughs> than than other technologies. Uh, what what's what do you think are the risks if you if you run your technology more so around GPS? So that's actually a pretty nice question. The highest risk is uh, we say that there is an empty spot in exit street, and a customer goes there, and boom, there is no parking spot. So that's the highest risk of using a terrible GPS signal. A more common problem might be you go to exit street that we say that there is an empty support, but you need to drive three meters more to find the actual location of the empty parking support. So I think it's not really a, really a big problem, I would say, yeah. So I suppose, do you, do you ever see yourself moving away from GPS? Could you just replace GPS technology or... Or would you just, you know, add some additional technologies to the stack, do you think, to to make these work even better? Because I've spoken about it many times before. When 5G technology comes in, well, no, it's it's in, but you know, when it's more when it's more broad, it's been it's been oh, used more. Yeah. The applications are, you know, very, very good. You'd be able to to speaking about key points. It can it can make yeah. everything key points pretty much traffic lights trams train stations you name it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so we don't really need to take GPS off from our system it's actually collected by phone so it is something we always get it I believe that uh, we will use GPS for some long time but within the improvements in technology uh, we can combine different methods together to achieve better accuracy in our future. Uh, feature works, yeah. Okay, cool. Question kind of off topic, but you know, you have a lot of then driving data that could be very well used. Do you do, mm-hmm. do anything with that yourselves or, or do you ever collaborate with third parties? You know, if you've got taxi drivers out there capturing all this video data, you know, no one that I know drives around the city more than the taxi man. Yeah. Um, we don't have private drivers. In the beginning of the pandemic, uh, we had 2,500 drivers in Berlin area who uses the app in daily basis. So we don't really need a private drivers to collect data for us. Yeah, no. What, what I mean is, is you have all this excellent data that could be, that could be used. It could be shared to help build um, other products potentially. Because you know you have these taxi drivers going around driving, driving around, mm-hmm. capturing all this great video data, image data of the streets, road signs, traffic signs. Mm-hmm. Are you using this information anywhere else? 
to to help your products. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I believe I am not able to mention the company name, but of course uh, there are some companies who are interested uh, in real time parking occupancy to provide their data to their customers and also some municipalities. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, nice. Um, so if we go on to now, we talk about you know the the Blick, uh, the Blick Ride products or the AI dash cams. Well, not yes. necessarily a dash cam. It's a, it's it's your phone, right? Yeah, that's right. It's just a phone. You have this. It's it's counting cars on the road. You've already mentioned that. Yes. How how does it do this? Because you know you're running this through someone's phone. You've got an algorithm mm-hmm. set up to run through someone's phone when they download your app. It's it's not as it's not as easy as it sounds, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so what what did you do to 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 get the success you've seen with this so far? Okay, um, that's a nice question. Um, we are using the power of AI here. The method is called object detection. Uh, firstly, we create a data set uh, that includes objects of interest. In that case, our interested objects are vehicles. Used models are super lightweight uh, models that can work on mobile devices, such as, I don't know, smartphones or Raspberry Pis, for example. Um, of course, the object detection method is not just enough to count cars or find the empty spots. Uh, you probably need other methods to keep track of objects and assign a unique ID. And um, in that part, uh, object tracker method comes, which basically uh, creates a connection between successive frames to distinguish objects um, based on their appearance and the, the locations on the frame. A highly frequent privacy question comes in that part. How do we avoid uh, collecting uh, private data? Uh, the answer is we are not actually keeping track of the license plates or human faces because the, the model doesn't even know uh, what is human face. And the, the captured um, videos are analyzed in real time. So uh, in that way, privacy is ensured. We are not keeping... Um, or storing that videos in somewhere else. It's nice. That's that's really cool. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you actually you built the custom tracker for that yourself, right? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Yes. Really cool. So we've just talked about a couple of the use cases there that you're using in a little bit more depth. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about you know the algorithms, the functions that you're using there for for deep learning mm-hmm. for these for these products? Okay. Sure. So maybe I can first start talking about the framework that allows developers to deploy and train the models. So there are different frameworks such as TensorFlow, PyTorch or um, Gullion. At the moment we are heavily using PyTorch and TensorFlow. Both of them provide um, pre-trained models which are ready to be deployed for lots of use cases like detecting humans, uh, bicycles or cars. Um, but it's always nice to train a model on a dedicated data set to be able to get a better accuracy. So we train our own models on our private data sets. And in terms of the used models, we both um, work with MobileNet SSD and YOLO architectures. Uh, they are, they're both uh, super lightweight models that works on uh, mobile devices, uh, as I already mentioned. And on top of object detection, we use a key point tracker, which is also called um, optical flow, um, which basically keeps track of hundreds of points in each frame and measures the distance 
between the corresponding points in successive frames. So in that way, it's understandable how how fast a car is going just by looking at the video. Then that information is used in the tracker method to update or predict the future locations of the objects. Uh, tracker method also keeps track of the coordinates of the objects and by measuring the distance between successive part cars, empty supports can be actually found. Of course, you need a highly um, detailed map information to, to be able to uh, detect real empty spots. Nice, nice. Yeah. Now, so Gorkem, look, we know building great software doesn't doesn't come without its its challenges. The first one I wanted to ask you about is, as you mentioned, when it came to traffic sign classification, uh, it wasn't happening for you in real time. What was your what was your findings from this? You know, why was it not classifying in real time? And then how did you solve it? Okay. So let's say we classify traffic signs um, in almost real time. <clears throat> we are using a generic type of traffic sign detection model, which basically detects objects that looks like a traffic signs. The reason is, instead of detecting and classifying maybe more than 100 traffic sign class for Germany, we first detect um, the objects that looks like a traffic sign and classify it with a classification model. So how that happens is detected bounding boxes are sent to a super lightweight classifying model and, and here all the traffic sign categories are assigned to, to the image. And if image does not include any um, traffic sign, then nothing happens. There are lots of features that looks like um, traffic sign uh, like supermarket logos, some, some ads on light poles, even politician images on light poles can be detected as traffic sign. So that's the, that's the basically the reason. Yeah. Nice. And another, another um, image classification issue you came up with as well was uh, tram lines being detected that, as cracks. What was, what was going on with that one? Mm -hmm. So I've already mentioned, Anthony, that we also do road damage analysis. So uh, the thing that I realized, um, the model detects tram lines as, as vertical cracks on the road, um, which is kind of funny because if you think about tram lines, uh, there's a long vertical crack which the tram goes on. But uh, it's an intended crack and it should not be detected as an actual crack. To solve this, uh, tram line images can be introduced to the training dataset so the model will know that those cracks are the, not, not the ones that we are looking for. Okay. And then look, images is one thing, but you know, you're, you're running these, these models on people's mobile phones, which, you know, kind of faces you with, with hardware challenges. So mm -hmm. tell us a little bit of the challenges you face in terms of hardware and, and ensuring that you can have computer vision and deep learning models on mobile phones, which is, Great, considering you don't even build the phones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So maybe we can separate that topic into two parts. Um, first one is the offline challenges that we face during the training or combining different data sets into each other, or maybe doing some analysis on the recorded videos for other projects. Some models uh, require a high amount of GPU memory to be trained or to run them on device. 
and and luckily we have a DGX station which is which is basically a GP cluster from Nvidia and that supports all of our training and testing process. Second part will be running the models on the smartphones. Of course, we can't really manipulate the phones, but modern phones are strong enough to run the lightweight AI models. And generally speaking, commercial drivers mainly use high-end phones, and that really makes the things easier for us. Nice. I mean, look, a lot of phones now have, have great cameras. Yeah, that's right. They're working like a PC. Processing power of those devices are incredibly high and definitely enough for a lot of use case. I think I've seen is there, is there more processing power in, in our mobile phones now than what NASA had when they put a man on the moon? Yeah, I think I read a similar thing to that one. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. But I mean, Gorka, look, in terms of time and, and topics, I think we've covered everything and, and that's us. <laughs> So for everyone listening, you're listening to the Soda AI uh, Computer Vision in Production podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Kelly. Today's guest was Gorkem Koskun, who is the mapping lead engineer at Blick.ai. Gorkem, great to have you on the show, buddy. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. listening to this episode of the computer vision in production podcast with your host anthony kelly to make sure you get updates on the latest episodes of the show make sure you subscribe on your preferred podcast listening app or add me on linkedin